Welcome to the OneFootball Premier League podcast. Divock Origi at it again for the Reds. Arsenal moving to the top four. Antonio Conte could call it quits at Spurs plus much more. As I, your host Matt Froelich, am today joined by the one and only Dan Burke. Hello, just me, myself and I. Yeah, it's just, it's just us two this week. I think Joel hasn't recovered from that injury halfway through last week's episode. <laughs> and uh, we haven't been able to drag in a replacement. Uh, but we will start actually with a little bit of chat and... It's Monday afternoon, and all I'm seeing on Twitter is that Antonio Conte is going to be in some sort of wife swap episode with Maurizio Pochettino, except it's a job swap. Oh, really? Not, I've not heard this rumour. Not a no. wife swap, yes. Apparently, no. apparently Conte, as the word was, offered himself to PSG um, for next season on a two-year deal, and Pochettino looks like he's going to be sacked from PSG. Mm, yeah, I did, I did hear about Pochettino, actually. It seems odd that Conte would do that, if that's true. Do, do you know what I mean? I don't know, like, why, why would you really go to PSG at this point? Yeah, like, I, I mean, you could sort if, of... If you're him. Yeah, you could go there at any time and, you know, have your fun winning a few domestic trophies in a league title. Mm. They're always going to be in the Champions League. It's not like it's a now or never thing for them in the Champions yeah, League. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really... I don't know. I'm, I'm hesitant to believe it, but maybe that's my... Um, my biased sunglasses coming into view. I feel like no, no one's really having any fun at PSG at any point, really. It all just <laughs> seems a bit laborious, doesn't it? They just sort of, you know, beat Claremont Fort at home and win the win league earn. I mean, I know they didn't win the title last year, so I suppose they, they've won it back this year yeah. at least, but it just seems like a bit of a, like, playing FIFA on easy mode or something, really, to me. I don't really see what, what people are getting out of it. Yeah, I'm not sure as well. When Conte's got the kind of stock he does now after the Inter Milan... Um, Chelsea and then Inter Milan title victory are now sort of doing a bit better than Spurs have been doing in recent years. Mm. It feels like he could be onto something. Who knows? Um, anyway, we'll move on to a review of the weekend's action. So first up, we move to Anfield, where Liverpool, it, it was inevitable. I was watching the game and <laughs> Everton Everton apparently defended well, which, you know, I think the the word I've written here is disruptive. Um, as, as, <laughs> as opposed to defended well, they sort of booted it out of the box and tried to win free kicks. Um, I feel like if Everton defended a little bit better in the other games, they might not be in this position. But let's move on to Liverpool. Uh, I thought they were always going to win this one. I wanted to talk through some of the flashpoints, though, Dan. Uh, what did you think? We got Gordon's penalty appeal, for which he was booked for diving, and then the one where he was pushed over from Matip. Uh, Mane with a potential red card, Richarlison's red card. Let's uh, let's start with Gordon. Yeah, I thought that was a penalty. I think it was not like a stone wall penalty. I can understand why the referee might not have given it. He might have seen it as a bit of a shoulder barge or a bit, mm. a bit of an upper body action, whatever you want to... It seemed like a penalty to me. Um, and I was a bit surprised it wasn't given. Maybe Gunn's uh, in the first half was in the referee's mind when he saw it, because that, that was pretty pathetic, that one, wasn't it? But there was yeah. also one in the first half when Gordon got in past um, Trent Alexander-Arnold and got fouled, I thought, and, and nothing was given. Trump was a little bit lucky to get off with that one, but the penalty, yeah. I, I mean, I think Atwell had a pretty bad game in general. I don't think he's a very good referee, really. And I think he, he sort of lost control of the game at some point. And there was a bit of a argy-bargy between the two players at, at some point as well, wasn't there? And I think that was what the, the Mane one, was he putting his hand in people's faces or something? He, mean, did, it, he did it twice. Mouth at one point or something. Yeah. <laughs> He did, it, he did it twice, and I'm not sure. I mean, we saw it. Was it Gabriel Martinelli who got booked twice, like in one incident, for two separate yeah. things earlier in the season? That could have happened to Mane. I think with uh, Anthony Gordon, you're filing it under the seen him given. Yeah, 
for the second <laughs> and one. And also seeing them not given, I <laughs> guess. Yeah, so, like, it's just one of those where it's like, I thought it was a penalty, but, I, I mean, I've, I've heard that Everton have, have asked for an apology to, from Pigmall again today about this but, penalty, and it's this, a bit like... It's the second time it's happened. You can't, you can't ask happened. for an apology every time, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, as a City fan, maybe I'm, I'm looking at this as well from the perspective of we got off with one with Roger, Roger mm. a few weeks ago at Goodison Park. So I'm not, uh, you know, gnashing my teeth and saying it's some pro Liverpool conspiracy or something like that, because or an anti Everton conspiracy for that matter. I just think these things happen. They got a couple of pretty dodgy penalties against Burnley the other week. I thought, and I don't, I don't recall them asking for an explanation from Pigmall about those. So. You know, you, you you can't just complain when it goes against you. Things are going to go against you from time to time, aren't they? And also, the worst thing is an apology does nothing. It basically gives them an yeah. excuse to say we were wrongfully relegated. When yeah. really, it's an excuse for playing poorly throughout the whole season that really isn't warranted, yeah. I think, for Lampard's side, to be honest. Um, I didn't think they did much. And, and talking of Lampard, do they? does he stay? So there's two sides to this. Does he stay if they go down? Either he says, you know what? I'm good enough to get them back up. I'm not going to let the relegation hurt my pride. And did Everton look at him and say, you know what, he's good enough to get us back up? Yeah, I was thinking about this after the game yesterday, actually. And I think from his point of view, he'd be an idiot to leave, wouldn't he? Because mm. then his, his CV is, didn't get promoted with Derby, you know, got sacked by Chelsea, got Everton relegated from, from the top flight for the first time in history or whatever it is. So, like, he... Um, he'd be an idiot to, to walk away from that job, I think, and not stick around in the championship and have a go at trying to get them back up because I don't know what's going to happen to their squad if they go down. I don't know whether the better players are probably going to get picked off, but they'll still have a decent amount of talent in that squad that should be good enough to compete at the championship next year and, and possibly come straight back up. And Lampard has shown that he, he does have a bit of pedigree at that level. He did an okay job with Derby, all right? He didn't get them over the line in the end, but the the bigger question, I think, is do Everton see him as the man to, to lead them? Like... I was pretty surprised that they hired him in the first place and to sack him after being relegated would, would not be a big surprise at all. It just seems like probably the, the right thing to do and maybe try and rebuild with, with someone else. But it's, they're not down yet, are they? There's still uh, still a few weeks to go. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I've still got a feeling that he might keep them up, actually. But um, it's not looking great for them at the moment. You think so? Well, it obviously hasn't been helped by Burnley's bizarre resurgence in form, but we'll get onto them in just a little bit. Um, yeah. Finally, though, on the Liverpool-Everton game, Anthony Gordon, we just spoke about his penalties. Were you impressed with him overall? Because personally, I think it's a crime if he's playing in the championship next season. <laughs> yeah, Flash Gordon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was uh, he was very good. He, he was running running into those channels and you know helping re- Everton really break out and and you know his decision making and, and his his looks uh, needs a bit of work. But he's a young lad. I'm sure with a bit of coaching that he could be uh, he could be a really good player. And he's a He's an Evertonian through and through, isn't he? I think if every player in an Everton shirt has shown that kind of heart and passion throughout the, the season, they wouldn't be in the, his position. And I know there was one point when he was down, I think it was after Alexander-Arnold took him out and Seamus Coleman was like patting him on the badge on his shirt. I saw say, that. Come on, you're, an Everton, you're an Everton fan, come on, keep fighting for us kind of thing. And it's just like, yeah, I felt a bit sorry for him at that point. But, um, but yeah, he's a very good player. Whether he would stay with Everton if they went down, I don't know whether someone would come in for him. Um, remains to be seen, but... Yeah, I think uh, if uh, if they are going to stay up with uh, six games to go, then they're going to have to have to keep fighting, and he's uh, he's going to be the leader of that. 
Yeah, I think it also does put a, a few of their more expensive signings to shame. The kid from the academy oh, yeah. is <laughs> is showing them all up. Uh, talking about kids from the academy, Arsenal have got plenty of them. And uh, they added to their 4-2 victory at Stamford Bridge in midweek with a 3-1 win over Arsenal. Um, what do you think we're seeing from this team recently that we didn't see beforehand? Because prior to these two victories over over top four competitors, they had a run of three losses before that. Yeah, I mean, I thought they were a bit they were a bit lucky in this game. To be fair, I mean, lucky first of all that the uh, the defending was horrific on that first goal. United, uh, you know, they dropped uh, Harry Maguire, didn't they, uh, mm. for this game? And then Lindelof and uh, was it Lindelof and Varane? Varane were just like all over the place when that cross came. It should have been a simple cross to deal with. So um, yeah, they got a bit lucky there. And then there was what a goal this loud for offside. There was the Cedric penalty. handball. Central Campbell, yeah. So I think they rode the luck a little bit. Got there in the end. It was a, a great goal from from Granite Xhaka to to seal the win in the end. But uh, I don't know what you'd say. What what the turnaround for Arsenal is? I, I guess Eddie Nketiah has been a bit of a revelation in the last couple of games against uh, against Chelsea as mm. well. And you're seeing a striker who knows where the net is and and uh, is getting on the other chances and scoring goals, which is something Lacazette wasn't providing um, them with. So. It's looking pretty good again for Arsenal again in terms of the top four hunt. I think United are pretty much out of it now, aren't they? So it's uh, it's down to Arsenal and Spurs. And uh, I don't know what what your thoughts on uh, on on Spurs' chances of beating Arsenal to are at this point. But it's pretty close, isn't it? Two points between them and the Spurs. Yeah, there's two points between them, and Arsenal have got to play Tottenham. So I think it yeah. obviously doesn't all hinge on that game. But if both clubs head into that match within t- touching distance of each other. It's, oh, it's got to be one of the biggest derbies we've seen, certainly in recent <laughs> history. Like that's crazy, and that's yeah. something that you never a, a young a younger Matt would never have thought between Arsenal and Tottenham, both fighting for the top <laughs> four. Um, but as for Manchester United, when that game's going to be yet? Uh, yeah, it's on Thursday, the twelfth of May, I believe. I believe that's when they've they've rescheduled right. it for that well-known Thursday evening slot on the Premier League <laughs> schedule. Um, yeah, as for yeah. Manchester United, Ralph Rannick said something akin to open heart surgery was needed on this team and that Champions League football will not be possible. I think it's difficult to disagree, but doesn't this sound a bit too negative, Dan? I was expecting the usual, you know, we fight till the end of the season talk. But uh, he sounds like yeah. he isn't sure, even though he's going to be the one overseeing this open heart surgery next season. <laughs> Well, I saw that clip that was on, on Twitter the other day of him talking and some described it as a forensic analysis of, of United's predicament mm. or something. And I watched it and I thought he said a whole lot of nothing, really. I mean, he, his basic point was that, yeah, yeah, to be competitive with, with the likes of Liverpool and City, we need good people at every level of the club. And it's like, yeah, no shit. Like, <laughs> do, do people not realise that yet? That you need to have, like, talented people who know what they're doing? And, you know, there's there's a multitude of problems at United and it's interesting that... that, that they're going public with it a little bit more now. I think even a couple of the players were speaking in the media after the Arsenal game about how the dressing room's in a bit of disarray. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. There's a lot of distrust in the people in you know executive positions at the club and, and higher. And it's going to be a long, long rebuild. But I think it is pretty simple. What And I think Ragnick did touch on this in, in his interview. It is pretty simple what United need to do. Part one was hiring a, a decent coach, which I think they have got in, in Eric Ten Hag. You know, I don't know if he's going to be the yeah. man to truly bring the good times back to Old Trafford, but it's a step in the right direction. You know, you work out who your manager's going to be and how you want to play. And then it's just about giving that guy a bit of time, really. And I think, you know, 
next season might be a difficult transition period for them, but they've just got to be patient with it. You know, they've got to be patient and wait until Guardiola and Klopp leave Liverpool and City respectively. And then that'll be United's chance to strike. Get yourself in as good position as you can be to capitalise on those those two managers leaving, whenever that might be. And I can't imagine it's going to be that too far away. I would imagine, you know, three or four years from now, probably neither of those managers are at those clubs. And that's United's time to shine then. And that's their, that's their big chance to, to get back and, you know, reclaim the title if they can. But they've just got to be patient with it, really. And, and, and it'll be interesting to see whether the fans are patient, uh, what kind of transfer business they do, um, whether they, they start playing a different style of football straight away or whether they try and do it over a more gradual process and you know whether Cristiano Ronaldo is going to be part of that I don't know it's it's a, it's a very interesting time for United I think and it's there, going to be crucial that they get it right yeah. there, there always seem to be towing the line though between I guess every big club's sort of doing something similar between oh yeah we're going to be good in three or four years when Klopp and um, Klopp and Guardiola leave <laughs> and then it's well, we need success now. Well, this is a crap season. Yeah. This isn't good enough for, for United, this, that, and the other. I, 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 look, Eric Ten Hag's contract is only for three years. Yeah. So, so I mean, to, to not get top, <laughs> Yeah. To not get top four this year is crap. Like, that, there's, there's no no getting around that. And, mm. you know, even when they started the season with, with Solskjaer in charge, people were looking at them as, as potential title contenders. And they're, what, 26 points off the top now? It's really poor, and it, I don't think Rangnick has done a good job since he came in. I don't know what what his work behind the scenes has been like, but in terms of the on field results and performances, I don't think it's been good enough. And I think that was probably to be expected, given that he's not really a football coach anymore, is he? He's, he's yeah. not been that for a long time, and they brought him in for this consultancy role. And I would like to think that he has contributed something in that respect, but it's something that we probably won't ever know. And you don't see that on a day-to-day basis, really, do you? You just see what the results on the pitch, and, and it's but, been really, really poor. Yeah, that's why I don't particularly quite understand, though, about Randy, because it, it, he's basically saying, look, we need a complete change of the club. The team's not good enough. We're not going to get Champions League football. I'm like, but, mate, you're the one who's in charge of this. You're the coach now, yeah. and you're going to be you know, heading up whatever strategy from next season onwards and have a great deal to do within the club. He's put it all on his own shoulders. If United aren't where they want to be in three or four years, it, it, it's got to be down to Randy. If he's the one calling the shots, surely, mm. surely, I think. But we don't even we don't even know if he's going to be there beyond the summer. There's a bit of doubt about that whether mm. he, he will actually stay on in this consultancy role. Which, if he doesn't, then you kind of wonder what the point of getting him in the first place was. Yeah. But I think you know they they had they, they had they had to get rid of Solskjaer. They had to make a decision. You know they weren't going to get Pochettino mid-season or or Ten Hag mid-season. They had to put an interim coach in place. And it's not gone well, but, you know, it's just one of those things, really. It it didn't work out. It's about next season for them now, isn't it, really? And to not finish in the top four is really really poor, but the damage was kind of done before Rangnick came in. And I think he can just walk away from it now and just say, well, I went there, I earned a bit of money. I gave them a few tips and that's it. My work here is done. Wow. It's crazy to think that Solskjaer managed to guide this team to runners-up last season. Yeah, I think that just says what what the, uh, the the standard of the league was like last season, though, to be fair. <laughs> Probably says more about them, yeah. yeah anyway, yeah. across town, Manchester City were winning 5-1 against Watford. Um, were you surprised that they had a pretty strong 11 out against, no disrespect to Watford here, but a team that would <laughs> expect to be comfortably beaten at the City of Manchester Stadium ahead of a Champions League semi-final against Real Madrid? Not really, no, because he did he did rotate a few players out of the team. So um, Bernardo Silva and Phil Foden didn't play at all. They'll be nice and rested for midweek. Riyad Mahrez came off the bench. Uh, Gundogan was on the bench. Um, he went with uh, Diaz at centre-back, who, who needs minutes because he's, he's been out injured for a while. Cancelo, uh, 
Zinchenko got a game at left back. Cancelo played right back. He suspended against Real Madrid, so mm. um, it was it made sense to play him here. And then <clears throat> the forward line was was rotated a little bit as well. Um, what was interesting was that he went with Fernandinho and Rodri as two kind of holding midfield players. Well, Fernandinho was getting forward a little bit actually, but that that was interesting. I never, I ne- I've never seen Guardiola play with two holding midfielders in the whole time he's been at City, and he did it for this game, which was which was kind of odd. But yeah, it's interesting because they've got. Um, for the Real Madrid game, they've got Cancelo suspended. That and, makes sense then. I was wondering why. Yeah, yeah. And, and Walker might not be fit and John Stones might not be fit. So who's going to play it right back? I don't know. There's been some chat which Guardiola unfortunately poo-pooed in his, uh, his press conference today that, that Gabriel Jesus might play right back, which would have been, would have been fun, but it's not going to happen apparently. <laughs> when, where, in what world would that ever be good? I don't know. I think it's just it's just one of those players who just works hard wherever you play him, really. So I just thought, oh, maybe we'll give him a try there. It, it's something that we need we need FIFA players to test out and come back to us with the results. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let us know how we get on. Um, talking of Gabriel Jesus, though, he did get four, which yeah. is um, which is pretty impressive. Uh, are you jumping on the hype of he's Manchester City's answer in the number nine position, or or is Erling Haaland still a must? Yeah, it's still got to be Haaland. I think. I mean, I, I was talking before the game at the weekend because there was pretty strong rumours at the back end of last week that Jesus is going to be a target for Arsenal. Mm, I summer. saw that. Yeah, and I kind of thought like it would be sad to see him go but it, it is a bit of a shrug of the shoulders really. He's a, good, he's a good player but he's never been that clinical finisher that can be relied upon to get you 20 goals a season really. He's moved out to the to the right flank in more, more often in recent times and that seems to be his best position now but He's not amazing in that position either, which, you know, it sounds ridiculous to say all these things after he scored four goals. He made a lot <laughs> yeah. of people look look a bit silly, really. But I think it probably is time for him to move on in the summer because I don't think if Haaland comes in that he's going to get much playing time um, or as much as he wants to. You know, he's 25 now. He wants to be probably starting for, for Brazil at the World Cup at the end of the year. He needs to be regularly in for a top team. He is good enough to do that, but I don't think he's good enough to do it for City. And I don't think he's really the player who will transform fortunes I don't think he's the striker that takes them to the next level I just think he's a, he's a sort of good player but not a good player if you know what I mean so if replaced him with Erling Haaland as seems quite likely then uh, I think he's the one who's uh, who's really gonna take City to that next level that they um, they've not been able to reach when they've not had a striker but talking of teams who need a striker and this is exactly what I thought whilst looking at Chelsea this weekend. I know they had a lot of possession. There was a lot of huffing and puffing um, in their 1-0 victory over West Ham. Maybe they need a striker even more so than Man City do. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, which is preposterous to say that because they signed Lukaku last summer, didn't they? He was the missing piece of the puzzle and the guy who was going to take them to the next level and, and now he can't get a game and now they've got... I mean, they're playing with sort of Havertz and Werner up front at the moment alongside each other, aren't they? Which... You know, Werner is just—it's just still so unconvincing. Um, I know he scored in the, the Champions League through the week, but he's just not really ever yeah. ever looked like he's comfortable as he at Chelsea. It, and- it, it doesn't look to me like Tuchel's thought. Right, I'm going to play with a two up front, or I'm going to play with a false nine. He's sort of molding and changing the team's tactics out of necessity because Lukaku's not yeah. doing what he thought, rather than the plan all along being. Lukaku's going to sit on the bench because I've got a better plan with Werner and Havertz. That doesn't quite look like what he's doing to me. Yeah. I mean, I'm so surprised about the Lukaku season because I, I really genuinely thought that he was the missing piece of the puzzle for Chelsea and he was really going to be fantastic for them. And, you know, I know he had a, an underwhelming um, stint at, at Man United before he went went away to Inter and then 
I thought he's a changed player, you know, into he'll come back and he'll he'll uh, he'll, he'll really hit the ground running and, re- and really boss the Premier League basically. And it just it just hasn't happened. It's just never even looked like happening really, which is um, a bit of a shame. But yeah, I, d- I don't know what their plans are. There's been some talk about Lukaku maybe going back to Italy this summer. I think Gacy Milan are having a look at him. Uh, was a rumor that I heard last week. So they're going to be in the market for a striker. Um, Maybe the, maybe it's too late for them to get in, involved for the uh, for the Haaland deal, which is something that was floated a lot last year. I don't know if the money's there with the with the sanctions and stuff like that. Obviously, yeah, I'm not even sure if they can. They're having to let Antonio Antonio Rudiger go, aren't they? Basically, he took mm. over saying this weekend that they had to they had to pay him with the sanctions. So, yeah, they're another one where it's uh, it's going to be a very interesting summer for Chelsea and uh, and where they where they, and where they go next from here because uh, a lot of uncertainty. Um, Christian Pulisic though came off the bench to save it late on mm. uh, after Jorginho had missed what I've written as a pathetic penalty I <laughs> I, I cannot stand these run-ups I just don't get it uh, Bruno Fernandes as well right Bruno missed one against yeah. Arsenal uh, w- what are your thoughts on them I mean I've always thought they were it was stupid like to bring more variables into that, a penalty that's situation exactly than, it. than it needs to be exactly yeah. Why would you reduce your own probability? It makes no sense. Yeah. And I think, like, it worked for a long time for Jorginho because uh, goalkeepers weren't wise to it, really. You know, he would he would, he would would maintain eye contact with them all the way through and it would kind of force them to make a decision and then he could just put the ball the opposite way to, to what they went now. Whereas I think I think goalkeepers now, like like you saw with, um, with this one, um, they just sort of stay still for as long as possible and make him make the decision. And if he doesn't get it right in the corner, if it's a poor penalty like he did here, then you can save it quite easily. Um, I think still, if, if he if he can get it right into that bottom corner, then it's it's hard to save those penalties. And that's why, to me, you just you you pick your spot, you run up and you hit it hard and low. And and uh, if you can get it in that corner, then the goalkeeper is going to find it very difficult to keep it out. But this is exactly what I mean when you speak to people who. In, who enjoy that penalty who who agree with it and say oh yeah but he's fooling the goalkeeper this that and the other he's sending him the wrong way <laughs> but if you don't do that and you run up and you hit it hard and you know I Harry Kane I'm gonna bleat on about because he is one of if not the best penalty takers in the world it doesn't matter if the goalkeeper goes the right way or even if the goalkeeper somehow yeah. manages to make it to the corner because when Kane hits it it's past you quicker than you can react and Jorginho is giving the keeper more chance of not only making them look very stupid, but also saving the damn ball by not hitting it very hard. <laughs> yeah. And I just cannot, I cannot for the life of me see why it's worth it over someone yeah. absolutely nailing it bottom corner. I mean, we were talking about this earlier in the office. You, you never catch Julian Dix doing that. <laughs> absolutely not. Wouldn't, no. We were talking yeah, about I, David Unsworth last week. <laughs> Jorginho, he's only missed, uh, he's missed seven out of 45 career penalties, but six of them have come since the start of last season. So it does suggest that maybe goalkeepers are getting wise to his little trick and uh, and he needs to mix up his technique a little bit or Chelsea needs to start letting someone else take the penalties, I guess. Oh, it's just, it's insanity for me. But there you go. They got bailed out very, very late on with Christian Pulisic's goal. And it now moves Chelsea a little yeah. bit more comfortable with third. I think as well, don't want to speak too soon, uh, but I think that probably knocks West Ham out of the top four running. I know they've yeah. obviously got a, a champ, uh, sorry, Champions League, Europa League semi-final this week, and they've got Arsenal at the weekend. Um, but yeah, I think them and Man United are probably, probably out of the top four running. Uh we move on next to Carra Road, where Norwich were yet again humbled, humbled by uh, Premier League opposition. Newcastle running out three nil winners and a 
and a, a fun fact that's fun for Newcastle fans, certainly. Only Liverpool have picked up more Premier League points in 2022 than Newcastle's 32. Yeah, they've been outstanding, haven't oh, they? Outstanding. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's one like a lot of people looked at the Eddie Howe appointment and were like, oh, I don't know if that's the right man for the job. It's a bit underwhelming, you know, for all this money. A lot of people looked at the. Um, the money that was that was being spent on on the players they were bringing in and thinking that was a bit underwhelming, but it's just been a complete transformation in terms of the form, in terms of the way they play, in terms of the the, the results they've been getting. It's just been it's been outstanding, and um, you know I think again it's going to be interesting to see how they build on this next season, whether it is a bit of a kind of new manager bouncing effect or or, or the new players have, have really brought something to the table. But I was you know very very skeptical about Eddie Howe after the way he. he left Bournemouth having got them relegated I wasn't sure mm. whether he actually was a good coach or not and I think we're really seeing what a good coach can do for you and, and you think you know if Eddie Howe can do this with with Newcastle then what could he do with a team like Man United maybe it, maybe he'd be the sort of coach that they would be uh looking at if they weren't going for 10 if they hadn't got 10 Hag he's the sort of coach that uh you know this 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 job might really getting back in the, the conversation for being the next England manager and all that kind of thing, because that was being talked about at one point. But, I mean, the, the job he's done with Joe Linton alone is, is yeah, manager true. of the year kind of stuff. So, he, yeah. he, he, by the way, his first goal was astonishing. What yeah. a finish. I, I thought that about that one and the third one from Gimaraes, who, who Gimaraes, can't seem to yeah. stop doing everything right at the minute. That yeah. finish was, I feel like, only Brazilian. That is what I'm going to say about that sort of finish. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, yeah. just he even rolls the ball with his foot to sort of control it in the first place, and then yeah. the lift. Ah, oh, astonishing. Um, but talking That's about true. that recruitment though, and I, I think they have done very well. And you know, everyone thought it was going to be the sudden resurrection was dying after Kieran Trippier broke his foot. Um, doesn't mm. seem to be like that. And are, are they sort of? upstaging I guess the likes of United Arsenal and even Spurs by showing that good recruitment can be done in the January transfer window in a short amount of time I think so yeah and and they've not really broken the bank for any players yet have they they've not paid crazy money for anyone I think what was the Gimarash one about 40 million or something you think which so, is yeah. pretty normal for a player of his quality really it's not not outrageous um yeah it's just gonna be interesting to see what they go for what sort of targets they're looking at next season because, you know, there was a bit of doubt when they were signing these players in January about whether they would still be a Premier League club next season. That's definitely going to be the case now. So they are well equipped to to build on this now and, and really start bringing in some some top quality players. And I think they are probably still going to find it a little bit difficult because they're not going to be expected to be competing for titles next season or, you know, anything like that. But you look at the way they've they've finished this season and if they can build on that and keep that momentum mm. going, then, you know, challenging for Europe, Champions League places next season doesn't seem out of the question, really, if they can add a few more players in, in key positions and, and keep everyone happy and keep everyone yeah. motivated. It's looking it's looking really good for them. And you say they've got, uh, only Liverpool have got more points than them in 2022. They play Liverpool on Saturday, don't they? And uh, and then they've got Man City the following weekend. So could be a be. real test, test of them, yeah. They could be affecting the Premier League title sooner than they think. Well, according yes. to you, they just need to wait for Klopp and Guardiola to leave and it's their time to shine. So There you go. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, moving to the South Coast now and the, the lesser-known South Coast derby between Brighton and Southampton. Uh, <laughs> I must say that Danny Welbeck usually gets an earful from me for missing chances, but this week he scored. Do there you, you quite believe it? He did not 
come on late and miss a chance. He actually put the ball in the back <laughs> of the net like it's some sort of parallel universe. Um, he bagged the first as Brighton blew a two-goal lead at home to Southampton. Um, we talked about Chris Wood being a big loss for Burnley as Newcastle poached him. What about Newcastle's poaching of Brighton's Dan Byrne? Is he arguably a bigger miss? Uh, they lost four of the first 22 games before they sold him to Newcastle, and now it's seven losses in the last 12. Yeah, no, nobody's really talked about that, I guess, have they? But yeah, I mean, he, he is a very good player, Dan Byrne. Um, I, I love that he was playing that sort of weird hybrid, sort of like back, centre-back, left-winger role for Brighton, <laughs> which... Uh, which, which a man of his size should not be getting away with, but uh, there he was bombing down that flank. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean they, they've got they sort of generally play with Adam Webster and Lewis Dunk as their centre backs now, don't they? And um, Lewis Dunk, he's one who was considered you know a, the next big thing a little while ago, wasn't it? And no one's really talking about him anymore. His development has has kind of stalled a little bit, you might say. Mm. And um, they've got Mark Cucurella playing left back, who's a pretty good player, I think. Um, so I don't know where 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 Dan Byrne would have fit into that if he'd stayed around. Um, I don't think defending has ever been Brighton's key strength, has it? And uh, they gave a pretty good account of themselves against City last week until uh, till the floodgates opened in the second half. They can be quite a hard team to break down. They are quite well coached, but um, yeah, Dan Byrne probably yeah a bit of a loss for them, I think. Um, and they uh, they they were pegged back by James Hall Prowse. And I remember as soon as yeah. I saw this, I wasn't watching the game. As soon as I saw it pop up, I thought one of these has got to be a free kick. There is no <laughs> doubt in my mind that one of these Wall Prowse strikes was, uh, and it was the first one. And it means he now has 14 direct free kicks in the Premier League, just four behind David Beckham. That's unthinkable. Yeah. Like Beckham's heralded as the god of free kicks and, and, and nothing against James Hall Prowse. I think he's a brilliant player, but that'd be crazy if he overtakes that. The rate he's going at, he'll probably do it by the end of the season. Absolutely there was a nuts. quote from him the other day where he was saying like um, he wants to uh, match or beat Beckham's record because Beckham's his hero and he thinks that if he breaks his record, Beckham might like reach out to him and like I don't know invite him round for a cup of coffee or something <laughs> like. <laughs> it just that, made me think like yeah, what that, what an innocent sweet thing to say that is. Yeah, he, he seems like that kind of nice guy as well. I just oh, yeah. can you imagine that? That's the content we need. Them two taking free kicks together. It's yeah, beautiful. Exactly. It's yeah. the stuff of dreams. Um, <laughs> One win, though, in the last eight for Southampton. Is, is Harzenhill doing enough right now to go and ask for a big transfer kitty in the summer? Um, d- does he really sort of say, look, give me a lot of money. Trust me, I could do big things with this club. Or is there going to be a hint of doubt in the owner's mind after this poor run? There probably should be a hint of doubt. But it's like, I think I was saying about Southampton on, on the podcast last week. They're just the archetypal kind of mid-table club, all right? They're sort of lower mid-table at the moment. And one win in eight, it's like, it doesn't really get talked about that kind of form because it's just not really that interesting. Mm. <laughs> they're just not really that interested in a team, are they? And they're never really going to sort of threaten the top places. They're never going to get relegated or, or, or be in, in contention for relegation, really. They're just there and thereabouts in the middle of the table. They've got a decent manager who's not an incredible manager, but good enough. And... Yeah, they got a takeover this season, didn't they? So there might be a bit of money to spend this this season, and, yeah. and if they can bring in bring in some decent players in the summer, then uh, maybe they can they can push on a little bit. But it wouldn't surprise me if we're sitting here next April having the exact same conversations about South, Southampton because that's kind of what. Apart from when they were down in the lower leagues for a bit, that's kind of what, where they've been my entire life. They've just always been sort of mid table, and I think they always will be. <laughs> 
Well, what a what a depressing uh, future <laughs> to look forward to, Southampton fans. <laughs> uh, it could be worse. It could be worse. It could be Everton. It, it, it could be a lot worse. Uh, it could be Everton. Mm-hmm. And also one of Everton's relegation rivals, Burnley, who picked up another three points against Wolves, meaning without Sean Dyche, they now have seven points from the last nine. There is no way that Burnley's chairman, Burnley's owners, could have envisioned this masterstroke, this turnaround in fortunes, uh, as it looks like they could be staying in the Premier League as of today. This is a weird sort of question. Do they make a more attractive proposition for a manager to take over if they go down and sort of hit the reset button and they get rid of a few older players or a few players on bigger contracts and they can start again, come up to the Premier League afresh, than if they were to stay up and basically just be doomed to struggle again next season. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, because they've got a you know a decent core of players there for Championship level. You would say, mm. wouldn't you? You know, a bit like we said about Everton earlier. If they go down, they're going to be in a good position to come straight back up. You know, there'll be there'll be money to spend there on on players. They'll probably sell a few players that they can reinvest in the squad. Um, so maybe maybe there is a bit of a bit of logic to your question. Yeah. I mean, the question at the moment is, is, is does Mike Jackson get the job full-time? Because I watched them against, um, who did they play last week? Southampton. I watched that game. I thought they were really, really good. Yeah. I didn't watch the game at the weekend, to be honest, but another great result for them that you would you would not have imagined. And I think we joked on the podcast last week about how it's almost like they've tried to have the new manager bounce without hiring a new manager. And that's exactly what's happened so far. So, yeah, maybe, maybe I mean, I was saying last week that I, I thought it was a bit crazy that they'd got rid of Sean Dyke you know, um, just a few games of the season to go and, and that, that there's still been uh, something for them to play for. But it's looking like a bit of a master moment and maybe maybe there was a, a reset was needed, a bit of a refresh was needed, a bit of a new ideas or just a, maybe there is just a bit of a positive buzz around the place that perhaps there wasn't when Deitch was there when it was a bit of same old, same old and everyone was just sort of going through the motions and now everything's refreshed and energised and minds have been focused again and, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they stayed up now. And I would have said, you know, even this time last week, I would have said that they were probably the uh, the three teams that were going down. That's probably the worst thing for Lampard and Everton to see is that a managerless relegation <laughs> rival have started to pick up some serious <laughs> yeah. form. Doesn't look great, does it? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> the only thing worse than that is probably watching one of two nil-nils in the Premier League this weekend, which were... Well, thankfully I didn't watch them, let's say. Uh, The first one is Brentford against Spurs. My dad was actually at this game and sending me furious texts. He couldn't believe how poor it was. (laughs) It's now 180 minutes without a shot on target for Tottenham, who are supposed to be chasing the top four. Um, They're now with one point from the last two. They've lost fourth to Arsenal. Um, Antonio Conte, does he not change the teams at the right time? the team at the right time even whether it's a starting lineup or making substitutes earlier in the match because he doesn't trust the squad depth and the players to bring on or is he not ruthless enough to drop them if they're out of form there isn't a lot of squad depth squad depth at Spurs is that's the problem really I mean you look at the the bench at the weekend you've got you know who do you bring on there Harry Winks Stephen Bergvine all right he's Shown himself to be a decent impact sub at times. But Moore is the only he's not one, the most reliable player. Lucas Moura, yeah, who again like has has done well for Spurs at times, but has been a bit more of an impact sub than a starter. You wouldn't really want to see him coming in at the expense of, of the other front three, would you? I don't know whether a bit of a change of system is required. Maybe Conte needs to move away from this three four three a little bit, and maybe take one of those those centre backs out and get a, get another attacking player on the pitch and start creating some more chances. But 
yeah, you'd know better than me about the problems at Spurs at the moment. Really, it's uh, it's it's strange how it seems to have gone a little bit a little bit sour in recent weeks. Yeah, I I think the problem is personally, I think that the, the drop in quality because Kulusevski, Son, and Kane are brilliant, but when they're not firing, as soon as you take them off, you're losing their quality. And I'm all for dropping a player if they're not playing well. You know, in the last yeah. few matches, Kane and Son, you know, have been really poor, and I think that's been reflected in the fact there's been no shots on target in two games, but. Having said that, taking them off and bringing on Bergvarn and Lucas instead is such a massive drop in quality. I'm mm. not sure that Conte can justify it. I mean, it comes back to the fact that Spurs haven't signed a backup striker, um, you know, since, since uh, was it Fernando Llorente in 2017 yeah. or something? Uh, and, and that's going to come back and haunt them. I really, I think Conte could be a bit more flexible in-game. Yeah, maybe take a centre-back off. But really, the options of game changes that he's got on the bench are so few and far between that it's almost got to the point where the starting eleven has to work. Or <laughs> yeah, that's sort of it. <laughs> like there's not much yeah. else. Um, but yeah, I think that there's been rumours, like we spoke about at the top of the podcast, about Pochettino and swapping with Conte, and apparently he wants a lot of backing in the summer, up to six signings. That's got to happen for me, regardless of who the manager is, I think. I, I don't think yeah. it's a case of Conte wants these guys. It's whoever's in charge of Tottenham needs to be given a stronger squad. Regardless, yeah, Con- Conte, Poch, Eddie Howe, me, you, I don't care. We need signings. <laughs> like We do a job. Yeah. <laughs> We've got, me and you would be a great double act. Yeah. Um, maybe, potentially. Would, would Chuckle you, Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'd be sat in the stands with a little headpiece on like Sam Allardyce. And you, you, you'd be my little Sam running up and down. I'd be the, the tracksuit man. Yeah. On the, yeah. <laughs> oh, I can see it now. Uh, as for Brentford, they've hit the magic 40-point mark, um, but they could probably stay out with far less this season. Is that a job well done? Can they uh, start getting their sandals on, the rubber, ding- the rubber rings, planning the summer holidays? Yeah, I think I saw a few of the players walking out with a bucket and spade at the weekend, so it shows you that they're... Uh, <laughs> Where, where their priorities lie at the moment. No, it's been a great season for them, hasn't it? You'd have to say, aside from a, a bit of a wobble in the middle of the season, they've, they've generally been absolutely fine. I think you would have to say that, that Thomas Frank is up there in the in the conversation with manager of the season, the job that he's done. You know, they've they've uh, they've taken points off some of the big boys as well. Um, they've been pretty... The, the home ground has been a bit of a fortress that Christian Eriksen signing mm. in, in the middle of the season really inspired them and really, really brought a bit of quality to the team that they were perhaps lacking and it'd be interesting to see whether he's still there next year I would suspect probably not but um but yeah they've it's a job well done absolutely they should enjoy this uh this first season in the Premier League as much as possible because I have a feeling it'll be a bit more difficult for them next year but for now yeah enjoy it yeah I think that as well but we'll move on lastly to a to a Leicester against Aston Villa nil nil I completely forgot this is technically a Midlands derby I mean, I know yeah. it's a bit of a stretch, but even so, <laughs> I expected a bit more than a nil-nil. But there we go. Uh, Brendan Rodgers' side gearing up for a Europa Conference League semi-final versus Roma this week. Um, this one did scream end of season on the beach already sort of game. Uh, as as for Aston Villa, they've been... I've used the word too safe for a while <laughs> to the point where the, the amount of effort and the amount of maybe even transfers that would have been required to take them into a, a spot to challenge European football was a bit too much. And they were too good to get relegated. Um, although this game did put the end to a four-game losing streak. Gerard said after the game, it offered a good base for them to build mm. on. Is that code for let's talk about the clean sheet rather than how blunt we were in attack? 
I guess so, yeah. Because what was it, a four-game losing streak before mm. this? So uh, any result is going to be is going to be welcomed, isn't it? Whether it be a, a draw or or a win, but uh, yeah, I, I think with Villa, it's. I mean, they're not. They're technically not safe yet. The, the, the eight points ahead of Everton, or right, you probably yeah. can't see them getting sucked into it. But you never know. Like, <laughs> and considering their ambitions at the start of the season, when you know, all right, they sold Jack Grealish, but they signed some ostensibly good players to replace him. Um, and then when when they brought Gerard in and he, and he made such a good start and they were looking so good, you know, at times there's been talk of them maybe pushing for Europe, challenging for Europe, but they've got not got anywhere near it. And there's about eight or nine teams ahead of them who they probably should be finishing above or at least being on more of an even keel with competing with for the for the players they've got at their disposal and for the the quality manager that Gerard is is supposed to be. So. I think it's been a really, really disappointing season for them, and I know it's been a bit, a uh, bit of a bit of turmoil with the, with the managerial change. But I think a lot more is going to be expected of them next season, and I think they're going to have to start really, really well, and have a good summer, and, and you know bring some bring some more players in in the summer, and and yeah, really hit the ground running mm. because if it gets to sort of September, October time, and they're, and they're not in good form, then. Steven Gerrard's going to have to be worried about his job, I think. Uh, talking about getting sucked into relegation battle, though, tonight we have Leeds against Crystal Palace. Leeds are just two points ahead of Burnley, um, mm. so therefore four points ahead of Everton. They go to Crystal Palace tonight. They then play Manchester City, Arsenal and Chelsea in yeah. back-to-back games. Are they the ones looking probably a little bit worriedly over their shoulder, especially with the form that Burnley are in? Can you see them getting anything at Palace? I can. Um, whether they will or not, I don't know. It, would, it wouldn't surprise me if they did get a win there because I feel like Palace, their season is petering out a bit now. Mm. You know, After the, the FA Cup semi-final last week when I thought they were, they were really poor against Chelsea, actually, I feel like they are... I mean, again, they're, they're the same points as Aston Villa, so technically they're not out of the woods just yet, but you'd be very surprised to see them get dragged yeah. at this point. So it wouldn't surprise me if, if Leeds go into this game and full of you know fighting spirit and, and actually get get a result. And I'm worried about City going there next week. Maybe I shouldn't be, but you know I, I don't. In between two uh, Champions League semi final legs, I wouldn't fancy playing Leeds at Ellen Road. You know, mm. it's going to be a tough game that. So yeah. Uh, I think a lot of it hinges on tonight, and if, if they can get a good result tonight, then then they start feeling better about themselves and a lot more confident. If they lose tonight, then maybe that City game suddenly takes on a more daunting uh, prospect for them. But yeah, it's uh, it's not beyond the realm's possibility that they could finish in the bottom three and Burton could still survive, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, true. And especially, like you said, the City, Arsenal, Chelsea to play. That's going to be a tough yeah. one for them. Right there, we're done with the Premier League review. Now we're going to go on to a little bit of a quiz. This is definitely a favourite of ours at One Football. <laughs> it's playing nonsensical football quizzes. The one I've got here, Dan, based on Gabriel Jesus's four goals, is can you name the players who have scored four or more goals in a Premier League match? Oh, God. There's, there... <laughs> There's 38 to guess and we've got five minutes. So if you if you hear me tapping away in the background, that is exactly what I'm doing. Is I'm putting in the answers. You just call them out, and I'll try to get as many as possible. Okay, you've got to help me though, because I'm shit at this kind of <laughs> thing. So okay, I'll, I'll, we'll we'll try we'll try and guess them all. Okay, we've started. Right. So we've got Gabriel Jesus first. One. Yeah, hit me. Aguero. Aguero. He did. Aguero's got three in there he's got Leicester in 2018 Newcastle 2016 and Spurs in 2015 oh, that Spurs one yeah. Uh, yeah Jermaine Defoe's got to be in there for scoring five against Wigan 
Uh, I think Rob- Solskjaer. Ooh. He did it once, I remember. Solskjaer. Robbie Keane did it against Burnley. This is some people are going to be crying out. I've got Solskjaer here. Oh, against Everton and against Nottingham Forest. Um, yeah, I remember the Forest one. Yeah, as a substitute. I think I'm remembering all the Spurs ones. Dimitar Berbatov against Reading, 2008. Uh, against Blackburn for United in 2011. Um, right, we've got Manchester City against Tottenham in 2012. Right. Can you remember that one? Oh, uh, Jacko. There we go. Oh, see, you are quite good at this. Yeah, we've got quite a few. For ah, sp- I didn't know we gave you the. Uh- the, the the games like yeah the- well if I read out every single game we'd probably go through it too um it would take too long uh, we've got Spurs against right. Leicester Harry Kane Tottenham against Southampton Son yeah Spurs are doing quite well on this one uh, I'll try and get some more <laughs> recent ones for you uh, West Ham against Norwich in 2020 Antonio oh <laughs> I went to type in you're correct I went to type in Antonio and it automatically filled out Andre Arshavin scoring four for a hostile <laughs> against Liverpool oh yeah that's, that's one yeah. very good uh, we've got Liverpool against Watford I believe was Mo Salah yeah Everton against Bournemouth Christ Everton 2017 Bournemouth. there's other honestly yeah. some of these I'm looking at them thinking we could take a long time you, do you want to hear some of the older ones you've got, got Tot- Tottenham against Wimbledon in 1998 I remember it because I was there. It was Jurgen Klinsmann. <laughs> Go on. Klinsmann. All right, okay. Yeah, it was Klinsmann. Uh, got Chelsea against Barnsley in 98. Liverpool against Borough. Liverpool against Bolton. We're not doing so well here. Uh, we got Wayne Rooney for doing it for United <laughs> against Hull. At this point, I think I'm just going to start typing in <laughs> good strikers from the past. <laughs> Michael Owens in there with a couple of fours. So is Robbie Fowler. That was uh, against Bolton and Borough in the mid-90s. I thought you were an expert at this, Dan. I'm rubbish. <laughs> Is this because Manchester City weren't like you said in the Premier League? No, as, I've, just, I've just got a bad, I've just got a bad memory. I'm just rubbish with like this in general, really. But oh well, we've still got two minutes to go. We could still crack a few more of these. Surely Ben Johnny's in go there. On, at give, some me, point. give me some blues. Okay. Yeah, I bet Ben, ben Johnny did do it for a bet. Yeah, he didn't. I've typed it in, but it's not there. Oh. I'm sp- I'm spelling it right. I remember that finger pointing celebration coming out quite a few times. Uh, Liverpool yeah. against Norwich. That has to be Luis Suarez. There we go. Suarez, yeah. Um, Blackburn against Swansea in 2012. <laughs> oh, Santa Cruz. If if you've no, got this right, he, he would have left by then. He le- no, he would have left by then. He had left by then. Uh, Chelsea against. Oh, it wasn't Derby. It wasn't. Um... Oh, what oh, was, was that Lampard. guy called who played for Blackburn? Um, Benny McCarthy, was it him? No, that was way too long after he'd gone. <laughs> uh, we have Frank Lampard were a few in there as well. Um, Mark Viduka got four for Leeds against Liverpool. Uh, going back to some other ones. Arsenal versus Leeds in 2004. That must be Henri. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. We've got 58 seconds, mate. <laughs> 27 out of 38. I bet there's probably people <laughs> listening who have got an answer or two. It's a shame this isn't a <laughs> Give live chat. Give me some more chat. clues. Give me some more clues. Uh, Man United against Newcastle in 2000. Cole. There we go. Andy Cole. I'm going to give yes. you a really difficult one. Norwich versus Everton in 1993. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no idea. I'm not Shearer, sure. I... must have done it once, right? Oh, yeah. Newcastle, Chef Wednesday, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're the Premier League top scorer and you haven't scored four, we've got 20 seconds. I'm going for Rule Fox. Oh, it's not there for Norwich. That's such a shame. Uh, Chelsea Barnsley in 98. Everton Blackpool in 2011. Yakubu. 
I know he wasn't Everton that Oh, you were right. Oh, no. Yakubu was there for Blackburn and Portsmouth. And we're time out. Ah, we got really 32 out of 38. The rest of them were That's right. Not bad. That's good. That's not e- bad. Everton yeah. Bournemouth was Lukaku. New- ah, right, Newcastle yeah. Norwich in 2016 was Wijnaldum. Um, Everton oh, yeah. Blackpool, Louis Saha. Chelsea Coventry was Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Chelsea Barnsley in 98 was Gianluca Vialli. And Norwich versus Everton in 93-94 was Efan Okoku. Oh, wow. Fair play. Wow, we should have known that. Well, there you go. 32 out of 38. There's probably people who found that very difficult to follow. <laughs> but if you want to do that quiz, you can find it on the 442 website. Uh, we've probably given away most of the answers by now anyway. We, we've spoiled it all for you now. Yeah, we've spoiled it all for you. Um, we could potentially do some more quizzes, but I think they'd have to be a structured little bit better than that because only I can see what's <laughs> going on. Anyway, thank you so much to everyone for listening this week because that's all we've got time for. Thank you so much, Dan, for joining me on uh, on your own again. I'm never prone. I'm never injured. No. Yeah, just you're Mr. Reliable. Right, solid, exactly, solid <laughs> professional. You like the Cesar's Pilicueta of this podcast. You're always that's there. You turn up. Right. Shirt tucked into your shorts, looking brilliant. Uh, of course, if you want to get at us or at me on Twitter, you can at Matt underscore Froelich or at OneFootball. You can also uh, leave your questions, suggestions, and feedback about the podcast. The address is podcast at onefootball.com on email. Um, yeah, that's all we have time for. Thank you so much for joining me. And until next week, we will see you guys later. I love-